target of the meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen? Gentlemen? Can you hear me? Uh, 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 Sorry, he caught me off guard here. (laughs) I'm uh, just realizing that this sounds up on my computer. Problem solved. Hey, welcome to the show, gentlemen, gentle sirs. Gentlemen, speaking of gentlemen, Mr. Angus, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Happy you know, it's, I don't know if you get this feeling. Like when I first, when the, we first start the show, I feel like I'm acting just a little bit, <laughs> like that I'm being someone that's not myself. Do you do that at all? Do you get that feeling? Yeah, the the start of this is always awkward. Um, right. Angus has been here for over half an hour now, around a half an hour, and we've just been shooting the shit and hanging out, and suddenly it's like we're in a whole different world. Yeah, it's, I think that um, the whole head heads phones and like talking into a microphone it sort of makes it a different feeling yeah remember just pull it over to you drag it and it'd be a lot easier for you if you just drag it as far over as it wants to go uh before we get going too far man i want to uh thank option studios today if you are checking out on camera right now mr p nicklot is wearing the new the rating center hat we've got these in in true navy which is that dark blue you're seeing him wear right there royal which is a brighter blue red gray black these were designed by Adam Buckner. Option Studios did a fucking kick-ass job, man. We got about 50 hats in. Um, if you're looking to get custom hats done, you're, you're looking at 50 or more. Uh, he, he really t- uh, c- uh, caters to a large audience. But also custom jerseys, man. I also just happened to get from performancedesigns.com my new PD jersey. So you can check out their work. Adam Buckner and Option Studios, they make some super dope jerseys. Nick, I see you wearing an Option Studios jersey pretty regularly. Uh, yeah, that's my new favorite. Actually, the uh, when I first saw the SSK jersey, I was like, oh, that, okay, that's, that's a jersey. And then I got one, and I started wearing it, and it's my new favorite thing in the world. Man, they're so comfortable, and uh, I love the fact that SSK... Did you get a long sleeve, short sleeve? Uh, they sent me both, Sweet, but I really do prefer the long sleeve, even though it's hot as shit, and even though I'm generally a sweaty person. Yeah. Just like that long sleeve. I like it. It's great. You're doing a lot more jumping in yeah, the Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, maybe that's what it is. I like the way it feels under a jumpsuit yeah. and uh, just in free fall. I'm walking in and out all day long, uh, videoing people landing, and the short sleeve is nice. So Option Studios, doesn't matter if you want long sleeve, short sleeve, it doesn't matter... Uh, what you want graphic design, they will take care of you. Right now, they're working on some new options. Keep an ear out. Don't know how much I can uh, tell you about that, but uh, he's coming out with some little new things, uh, sneak peeks here and there to help out uh, these jerseys fit even better when we're free flying. I feel like we've let all those cats out of the bag, have we not? No, I don't know. Man, I don't remember shit. Yeah, did we talk about the thumb holes? Yeah, the thumb hole. I'm pretty sure we (sighs) talked about it. The hard part, Angus, is we get so fucking confused to... Um, was that that's you? That's probably me. Okay, we get so confused. To uh, did we talk about this on the air or before we started? Which one? I don't know. No, yeah. we say that we yeah. end up with that conversation a lot if we just don't remember. And I, I'm sure I repeat myself a lot. And <laughs> uh, hang on, hold on. I really I got to show something to anyone who's watching on Facebook uh, live. So I've been editing this video uh, for. Uh, an event we had called Looking to Build, which is basically a bunch of angles and sequential stuff and uh, and smoke jumps. But I've been having some of my friends send me pictures of themselves so I can crop their heads out 
and <laughs> and put it in this video, right? And I just got these pictures. Hang on. I cannot see that so from here. Ben, ben and Jen Roan just, just sent me theirs. And I just really... Jen is such a pretty girl, and I just really need the world <laughs> to enjoy this picture. And hang on, I got a really good one of Ben, too. Sorry, if you guys are just listening, this is really super not exciting. But these pictures of my friends make me real, real happy, especially when uh. I to cut them out of the picture and make their face do silly things on a screen that they didn't actually do. That's a lot of fun for me. That video is almost done. I've been working on it for like 40 hours, so I'm getting pretty excited. You ever notice that Nick disappears in the drop zone every so often? You just don't see him come out of that hole? Yeah, it hides away in the, the yeah. office doing things. You know, man, bring that thing right up to your... Right up. Yeah, like actually grab the arm and fold it and pull it. It'll come way closer to oh, you. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that easier? Basically, like you're just about to smooch it the whole time. Like, oh, hey. <laughs> right up on it. Hey, lady. <laughs> cool. So... Anyways, Gravity, I'm sorry, Option Studios. <laughs> no, Option Studios, super awesome jerseys, these fine-looking hats. PullUpCords.com, check them out. Find them on Facebook, Option Studios, and PullUpCords.com. Adam Buckner, thank you for the new hats, man. Now, episode 55, Angus Robertson. How you been? Hello. Yeah, good. It's cool to be here. Pretty excited to be asked and come on the show. Dude, it's excited to have you a here just just as a guest and and Nick really doesn't know as much about you as I do. We've we spent yeah, time we together. Hang out. Caught on the reg. Nick was like, "Man, I don't know if I've ever talked to the guy." No, we we talk <laughs> here and there. I just don't yeah. know that we've really had a good conversation. I just don't know much about you as a as a person. As a person. No, I think like we sort of pass by each other a lot on the drop zone, but it's like unless you're jumping together, you don't really get to actually meet people and hang out and all that sort of stuff. I don't meet anybody at the drop zone unless they work for That's us. Working, but like I <laughs> used to get the same thing back in my other drop zone. You sort of end up in your own little thing where you just like, you know, packing, shooting video, editing. You just don't get to meet all the people you want to, but yeah, it's cool. Drop zones always seem to have, and the bigger the drop zone, the more it happens. Yeah. Two lives the fun jumpers and the staff, and some of it intermixes, but yeah. it doesn't intermix a lot. No. And, and so a lot of y'all don't get to know each other. Yeah. And, and it's kind of neat because you've been a working jumper, yeah? Yeah. And now you're just a fun jumper. I say just a fun jumper. How many skydives have you made this year alone? Um, I think I'm getting around 500 this year, like about 500. So it's been pretty good. I'm on target for what I was planning for the year. So, so you're here for the unlimited jump package. If you've listened yeah. to the show, you know what that's about. Uh how many excuse me uh how what is your goal for the year um pretty much my goal was um do a thousand jumps that, that was you know sort of the start thing everyone sort of plans they're like well actually sort of it sort of changed a bit so like one it was to break even which i've already done gold which was and what two, three, it was just, 300 and some yeah 300 and something and um it's just sort of more turned to like just sort of have fun and really enjoy the sport and um I'm sort of doing that, and I've been mainly focusing on canopy piloting, so I think that's where I want to be, getting more towards, like, the end of the year to be at actually, like, a competition stage where I can actually go compete and learn and that sort of thing. So I think that's probably my biggest goal this year is, and that's why I've come to Houston, because I've got the pond. It's a great place to train. There's some awesome canopy pilots here, so... I've, yeah. That's have you changed canopies or downsized or anything since you've been here? I have, actually. Yeah, so... What did you show up on? I showed up on a um, Crossfire 3, 119. And uh, b previous to that, I had the 149 Crossfire 3, and I was jumping that. But um, since being over here, like PD being such a big company in the US and so readily available, like I've ended up swapping 
over and jump in PD canopies because they're very easy to find. And I'm currently on a Comp Velo 84 and it's been really good. Like I was previously jumping the uh, 96 just standard Velo and yeah, ever since swapping over the Comp, like it's got an awesome opening, like it's always on heading, it flies nice and it's got so much range and yeah, so... So it w- for you, like, let's say to, to meet that goal, to be competition ready, yeah. like, what what does that look like? How how are you going to know if you've actually met that goal? Met that goal? I think it's, um, you know, the different different disciplines within canopy piloting. So um, pretty much, like, my goal is, is to be able to set up in any condition, you know, whether it be, like, crosswind, downwind, going into it and actually, like, you know, zone act being able to hit gates, being comfortable over water. I think that was a really big thing this year so far is um, never been above a pond until this year, like actually sweeping a pond. So, Dude, And the Spaceland Pond is so big, man. It's, it's so massive, crazy how like, how deep you can set up yeah, and still be over water. It's insane. And um, I've actually just recently, over the last couple of weeks, finally um, not being so nervous of water because it's definitely a different thing. Like... Um, Compared to like ground, you know, you're dragging on the like when you run your feet over the ground or something like that. Compared to running your feet over water, like it's a very weird feeling, and I think it sort of got me a lot. Like at the start, like it's yeah, just sort of it's different feeling, and I'm getting a lot more com- comfortable and things like that. So like regularly being able to hit the gates now and like landing where I want to, being able to set up in different conditions, like it's. People think going over water should be just as easy as the ground. It's more yeah. forgiving, but you can dig in with your feet on the ground all you want to slow you down, to stop yeah. yourself, to do whatever. And the second you put your foot down a little too hard on the water, it grabs you. Yeah. yeah. You, have you been there yet? Um, not yet, luckily. I've been, um, yeah, pretty much just cruising over the top of it lately. Have you so not had good. to swim out of the pond yet? Not yet. Oh, snap. I've never uh, had to swim out of Spaceland's pond. I've only swooped, I've only got my feet wet on it like four or five times. I used to swoop ponds in a prior life, and I just fucking wet shoes. I hate it. Don't like wet feet. It rains a lot at Spaceland. You get your feet wet enough as it is in that field. Well, not as much anymore. Now, Nick, I don't know when you started jumping here. 2012. Okay, I know we keep having that conversation. Um... God, I think in 09, we built up the landing area. You know how most of it gets soaking wet? Yep. Most of the tandem landing area was the same way. You can really? see it's all built up. As uh, the new hangar came in, as other things happened, a lot of the ground got oh, put there. Oh, okay. I was going to say a stupid thing of like, oh, I thought that they built that up when they built the hangar. My dumb brain thinking that the hangar was the first thing to be there. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. It all worked together. It all, all happened together. So you're here, you're pushing, you're exploring. Yeah. Uh, canopy piloting has, has really obviously become your biggest love right now. Yeah. When you first, and I want to ask more about that, but when you first came to Houston, what did you think your biggest goal would be? I mean, are you still chasing that biggest goal? Have you, has it changed? Um, I think it's definitely changed. Like the whole idea of the jump package, like it's, you know, you always think about things, but you don't know it till you're actually there. And um, yeah, like coming over here, like it's a whole different world, like, being able to wake up every day and jump as much as you want. Like, I still remember last year, like, being work, working in the sport, pretty much trying to find any way I possibly could to get on the plane, whether it be, like, shooting tandem videos or coach or, coach or um, shooting fun jumpers when they're doing, like, you know, 100 jumps and things like that. So this year it's so cool just be able to, like, wake up every day and get in the plane. And, um, yeah, like, goal-wise, goal like, I think by the end of the year, like, I'd 
it was a thousand jumps. Like that's always the biggest goal. And I'd probably like to walk away from here with some more ratings, like either tandem or AF. I haven't really decided. Like AF seems like the more sensible choice because one, it's cool to teach, like teaching people, and mm-hmm. it's like really self-rewarding, like sort of thing, like helping someone out and getting them the next step and teaching them about this sport. Like so, so I think that's probably the more way that I'm leaning at the moment. So just just for people who who might not catch it, AF. Um, we we AF, say yeah. AFF, <laughs> um, Spaceland, yeah. we call it SCP. Yeah. And for people that don't know what any of those letters mean, it's just teaching solo jumpers, yeah. teaching uh, teaching people to, to skydive by themselves, get, getting them uh, to their license. Yeah, Man, Mr. P on point over there. By the way, I poured you a little glass uh, if you want to help yourself. Thank you very mm, much. No need to. Also, if you want bottled water, there's more of anything you want in there that's open game, Coke, water, Mountain Dew, whatever. Perfect. Um, dude, how many jumps do you have now? You you got you um, made five hundred this year. Yeah, I'm at eight hundred, I think. Yeah. Okay, so you came here with about three hundred jumps. Yeah, and and you came here from Australia. Yes, I guess that's why you're Australian. That's why I speak funny. And and what were you doing on drop zones there? Were you fun jumping, um, working? What was up? So I sort of I start like I was just trying to learn more and more about the sport. So I originally started in like 2014. I think I'd done half and sort of had this plan. I was like. I really like the sport and I want to make my life. So I ended up coming down to a place called Tagula last year. And that's where I done my AF. And I sort of rocked up there and I was just living out of my car and just trying to find a way to make it work. And anyone who's sort of started off at the bottom in this sport, you sort of realise the best way to do that's packing. Because you can learn to pack pretty quickly and... If you just keep on doing it, like you can sort of make a bit of cash to keep your head above water. Yeah. So I started doing that, and then um, that's what I was doing in the drop zone. I was hanging out at this place, um, Me Loft. It's a big rigging loft in Australia. Couple, couple solar, okay. yeah. Took so I was um, what was I was um, I was just just wanted to learn more and more about the sport. So I was just hanging out there heaps, and eventually end up pretty much giving me a t-shirt and starting to pay me so that was that was cool so last year i pretty much spent about half my week working in a rigging loft for copper and the other half at a drop zone sort of doing whatever i could like chasing tandems and fun jumping and one of the things i, I kind of want to ask you about is the differences between australia and america we, we've had a few of our australian friends on but I don't think any of them have worked in the sport prior to coming to the U.S. Yeah. And the one thing, you were a packer. What What's it cost for a pack job in Australia? Uh, pretty much 10 bucks neat. 10 bucks neat. Yeah. Like I drink my scotch. <laughs> 10 bucks neat. Uh, 10 Australian dollars, right? Yeah. What's the conversion rate? Anybody know that? Uh, it's about 7.5. Uh, so 0.75 Australia to that's us so, yeah. or us to Australia? So, um, let's say $7.50 U.S. Okay. Yeah. So it's not too far off. No, it's pretty close. What's, man, I, I love my packing friends. I love my packing buddies. Uh, I work in the sport, and it's hard for me to make money, so I don't use packers much. Yeah. What's a pack job cost now? Nick, you don't pack. You pack yourself, too. No, I haven't paid for a pack job in, like, five years. Yeah. yeah. Six or seven bucks, though. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys normally tip packers? Like, is that Dude, standard over I here? I don't I don't understand. Like, I'm still getting used to the, how it works over here. I, I think if a packer does one pack job for you, probably... It's probably less customer, but if you have someone who's packing for you all day okay. and they're rocking out five pack traps, yeah, you're, you should throw that person a tip. Yeah, man. In America, really easy to think service based industries. Yeah. If somebody's giving you a service, chances are tips are appreciated, not always expected. Yeah, uh, packers, man, it's 
God, they they've had like a two dollar a pack job raise in the last twenty years. Yeah. And let's see, a great packer might put down. I'd have to do the math real quick, but let's say six pack jobs a uh, hour. Six times six pack jobs. No, that's an hour. ten that's, minutes. That's that's, that's a slow packer, but that's a good pack job. I guess it depends on the volume of business for the day, though, right? Yeah. Because you might not necessarily always have a canopy waiting to be packed, right? Yeah, and I pack I pack next to Will Groves. The standard of packing and time, that's... Watching that dude pack is just fucking retarded, man. Yeah. Sorry to all my mentally disabled friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was watching. Great catch on the, on the PC there. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever known me in person, PC is not what I'm good at, but I don't mean anything by it, I, I don't think. I don't think... <laughs> Leaving room for doubt. I like it. <laughs> Never leave most of the time. Uh, man, just leave your leave stuffing out. So how long did you pack for? Um, that's sort of what I was doing on the weekend. Like probably, yeah, like last year. That's what I was working more towards the end of the year. I was doing more camera work. Just slowly progressing that sort of way. Like um, every drop zone has like people who've been there longer. So especially with camera flying. And our drop zone was a big drop zone. Not quite the size of like Spaceland or anything like that, but it was one of the bigger drop zones in Australia. So you've got people there and it's sort of like, the longer you spend there, the more work you get. Like you can't just... A little bit of seniority. Yeah, like you can't just sort of rock up somewhere and this is what people do for a living. So yeah, so um, towards the end, at at the beginning of the year, I started more on the packing side and towards the end of the year, I ended up more like chasing tandems and doing things like that, which is... While I was in the sport to spend time under canopy, which is why shooting video works so well. So yeah, so about, about a year packing on and off, so it was all right. So, but was that all you, that you were doing for work at this? No, time? well, that's um, I was packing reserves probably about three to five days a week. Oh, okay. So that's um, what I was doing at Milov. So it was. Yeah, I sort of split 50-50 between a rigging loft and the drop zone. Are there, are there different rigging laws in Australia? Does um, it differ from the It's States a different much? setup. So what we've got over there is we've got what's called a packer. We've got packer B, which means you're qualified to pack like student rigs and tandems and things like that. So you actually go to a course for that. It's just to make sure people fully understand what they're doing. And then the next step up from that is a packer A which is what I was doing, which is like packing reserves and doing things like that. Um, most of the actual rigging work, like anything, sewing machine or anything like that operated, sort of got to get everything like that checked by a rigger. But it's like pack, pack is kind of like, imagine like a junior rigger, like a pretty much like a, a, an apprentice rigger. What can a packer, so you say a packer A is the apprentice rigger? Yeah. What can you legally pack? Reserves. Okay. Yeah, a pack- rounds, pilot, um, emergency, like, um, what are they called? like pilot rigs, like Bailout all that rigs. sort of stuff, yeah. yeah. And so a packer B can pack mains? Yeah, pack mains. Okay. And who rates packers or riggers in Australia? Um, so a- APF, it's like, that's the way they set it up. And mm-hmm. you've got to go to, um, like, you go to a course. It's pretty similar to, like, the coach. You know, you go do it, you learn everything, you fill out the paperwork. They sort of make sure that you understand what you're talking about and... So doing. first of all, APF is the Australian Parachute yeah, Federation. Federation. It's uh, it's the equivalent to USPA in America, BPA in Australia, yeah. where, wherever you're at. It's their cl- it's their organization. To be a packer, to to pack a main parachute, yeah, for other people, yeah. Can I pack for myself? You can pack for yourself. You don't need a writing. So any Joe can pack for himself. Yeah. But every, if I go to a drop zone, are all packers packing for me more than likely going to be Rated. packer B rated? Yeah. 
So, I, you, for example, you see things all over the world. The speed limit's 65. Who yeah. the fuck goes 65 on the freeway besides yeah. me? Oh, Debbie, stop listening to the show. <laughs> Sorry, I muted myself because I'm eating. Yeah, she didn't really, but apparently her daughter is now of age to where she starts repeating everything she hears. Not everything. Debbie, it's time for some headphones, all right? So when she's driving in the car with my little my little niece, uh, the fuck word comes out, and <laughs> I, I can't wait for my the fuck word. <laughs> the fuck, yeah. Apparently, I say fuck a lot. I don't know. I don't know about that. So most of the people are packing are yeah. are rated. APF. How long does it take to get trained to pack? What's a, how many days? It's it sort of all depends. I think I'm trying to remember. Like I think it's probably like. You can sort of do it in a day. Like most people that are going for their Packer B course already have experience packing. Okay. So it's not you're actually, you're not learning to pack. You already know how to pack. You're learning more about the regulations and rule sides of things. Okay. I want to go back. I want to come back to that. So go one step further. In the U.S. to get your A license, your first license, you have to be able to pack a parachute without any assistance, uh, under supervision to make sure it's good. And most people will encourage you to jump that pack job, which yeah. I personally think is a good idea. Parachutes open. You don't have to be the best packer in the world to make them work. Yeah. What requirement is there to get a license in the Australia when um, it comes to packing? I'm tr- trying to remember what license it is. Um, it's either A or B. I think one of them you need to have like five or ten supervised pack jobs. I'd, I'd have to brush up on that to know that for sure. I think it might be B. So let's hold on to that thought right there. Five supervised pack jobs is one of the license requirements. Don't yeah. know which one. I, th- I think it's something along the lines of that. It's okay. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to hold you to that exact number, but what yeah, I want to exactly. talk about is that idea. In, in America, you have to be able to do a pack job under supervision to get your license. Yeah. And then how many people ever pack again? You've seen it at this large drops in the U.S. How many yeah. people never pack after that? Yeah, well, I think it's like, I've met a couple of people, especially this year, that are doing that and they're starting to jump and they're not packing. And um, I think it's actually a really good part of the sport. Like, everyone sort of, you go do your jump, then you come down and everyone sort of packs and you're like talking to each other about the jump. It's like, it's really inclusive. Mm-hmm. I sort of find like people, if like starting to jump, I think learning how to pack is probably one of the biggest parts of it because everyone's got to do it. No one really likes it. So you try and make it as fun as you can. <laughs> and that's where all that like camaraderie sort of happens. Like it's, it's a fun time. Like you just end up, yeah, finding stuff to have fun about in there. Like you joke, you play around it actually becomes a really cool place to hang out and then huh. that's where you actually sort of start making friends and you're meeting people so i think yeah like try, like if you don't want to pack cool like pay packers but i think it's a really good part of the sport when you're actually learning how to do that dude i've uh, i've been doing this quite a while and that i may have heard that perspective before i don't remember ever having heard it yeah. and i love what you just said man it's that's how you and I got to know each other fairly well. Yeah. You and I pack near each other. Yeah. So when I'm packing, I'm near you. You've also worked in some instructor rating courses with me, shooting yeah. some video. I say work. You come and you shoot video for free. So yeah. it's not really work, but... Oh, it keeps me current in my belly. Dude. It's pretty, pretty easy to... Especially on the package, getting yeah. too caught up in free-flying. Dude, but back at it. I, dude, if you don't want to pack, A, pack. Because you don't know if you'll ever go to a drop zone where there are packers you can use, good packers you like, or packers you trust... But also, man, the fun we have over in the, that corner of the world, that section of the world. Yeah. Nick, is it the same way when you guys are in the uh, uh, you get the staff kind of packing their own area? Yeah, we have our own little bullshit circle most of the time. Yeah. Is there like some inside jokes that if you if you pack there, you might know? Other than that, you might not. 
Gosh, I would. I don't know how much, uh, how many inside jokes are going. Yeah, it's just more of a culture, I guess. Yeah. That there's a lot of uh, talking about the ladies that are around. That happens, <laughs> obviously. Um, and then just I don't know, just talking shit. You know, you know what happens when you get too many guys together. Making fun of Matthew going low on a video, or checking out that young lady sitting over there wearing those very nice pants. Yep, gotta yeah. love those stretch pants. Mm-mm, man, God bless hot Texas <laughs> and the skimpy clothes we wear. So true, true. now you're pretty decent packer. Like you, you do a good job. You learn to pack in Australia to get your license. Yeah. What's the packer B course? It's not packing. What are you guys learning? Um. Well, I think you've got to get like a certain amount of packs signed off that have been supervised. Uh huh. No, yeah. oh, I'm belching the mic <laughs> all the right. time. Yeah. So you got to get a certain amount of. And then it sort of goes more into the more the legality side of things. Like I think, like anything, getting ratings, like packing is one thing, but understanding, you know, your rights, what you're actually doing, more about the rule sides of things that the APF like put into place. Like, yeah. So Packer B, you obviously got that knocked out. Packer A, what did it take to become a Packer A? So it's it's a bit of a weird one. So like like I said, I was was sort of just hanging out at the loft. Copper like Copper was like super cool, and I was like just wanting to be in the sports. So I was like, my my plan was actually just hang out there and learn as much, much as I could. Like Copper's the sort of person that just wants to like teach people about stuff and like bring people in the sport and help them understand exactly what's going on. I gotta on. meet this dude. He's fucking cool, dude. Yeah. And um, my thing was I just wanted to learn as much as I could. Like I wanted to be in the sport, but I wanted to understand why things were happening. Like not just putting a rig on my back and being like I'm jumping out of a plane. I wanted to know it's like, or knowing your emergency procedures, whatever. I wanted to know what was actually happening in, inside that rig and understanding what was going on. So, um, yeah, like that's that's what I was doing. I was just hanging out there, and then he ended up saying, "He's like, would you like to do your packer packer A?" And I was like, "Yeah, I would." And I already had, I was probably maybe like ten, fifteen reserve packs at that time. Mm-hmm. I was logging them because I was told to. He's like, so that's really supervised but like at the start it's like pretty much they're standing beside you. you you watch a few then you start learning different parts about laying canopies out and like how it's all working and then um yeah i just sort of kept going and kept rocking up and then eventually we end up working something out where i was working there because it was pretty much like a hummingbird man like last year like just keeping my head above water like pretty much living what I had from like pack jobs and stuff I was spending on like fuel, uh, fuel, food or accommodation. Like I was just keeping in there and then mm-hmm. um, I ended up working there and that's what sort of made last year possible. So it was really cool to have that opportunity. But yeah, so it was just from simply hanging out at the loft and yeah, just working and working. And then, so I think the actual qualifications, it's like that you need to do, do your pack array is like 10 supervised pack jobs and the paperwork behind it uh-huh. which is you're talking about you know like six month um reserve cycles and like all that simple sort of stuff and so the qualifi- qualifications like it's actually pretty e- like 10 supervised pack jobs isn't a great amount no 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 and i think there's it's sort of that thing where you can just get the ticket and you roughly understand but i think like working in the loft and actually seeing stuff and hanging around people that actually know what's up mm-hmm. um it's a much better way to do it because then instead of just having like this simple course that you went and done in a week, 
you're actually like seeing more stuff and the more exposure and you end up learning a great deal more than just going and doing a course. So I was pretty lucky to have that opportunity last year. You you mentioned it earlier is a, an apprenticeship style system and I I love that about the APF. Uh, the the organization the program really seems to be big on on grooming each other. Yeah. And and I love what we're doing with USPA as a whole, um, but I really think we could do better at training those things. Um, APF, I think, has one advantage. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure this is right. Your CAA is Civil uh, Civil Aviation Authority. FAA is what we call ours. CAA yeah. is generic. Um, requires APF, doesn't we, it? Yeah, we call it CASA. CASA, yeah. that's right. And CASA is your FAA or CAA. Yeah. Um, so you are required, and that's one thing APF. I, I Man... Maybe a, a, a controversial statement, not maybe it is, where the APF has an advantage. They're required. So the APF can make whatever regulations they really want. Uh, USPA is, is bound to, it's a voluntary organization. Members vote to have you in as, as board members. Members decide to pay or not pay. Group members decide to stay or not stay. And so if USPA makes these things too hard to get, drop zones will stop using them. Then yeah. fund jumpers will stop using them. So I'd like to see us get better at it. But, um, I mean, Nick, you work a lot in the sport. What, how do you stand on how tight FAA's, USPA's uh, regulations how, are? How tight USPA's regulations yeah. are? Yeah. Do you think we could be a little bit more Gosh, progressive? I mean, like? I'm someone that really likes rules just because most of them exist for a reason. And especially in skydiving, most of the rules are there because someone died doing it a different way than how it's written to do it. So I feel like that they're, uh, I like rules. I like when someone's doing something that I don't think is safe. Usually it's already written down somewhere or there's already a you know procedure or standard of uh, how, how it should be done. And it's super easy for me to be like, hey, look, it's written down here. This is the rule for this reason. So I really like rules. I don't feel super uh, restricted by the rules. I think I feel um, emboldened by them and I feel safer because of them. So I don't, I don't think that we're overregulated. And as far as the FAA goes, I think they do pass on. You know, th they have a lot of. St I don't feel like the man's getting me down if the man is FAA. If that's a, an easy way to put it. Yeah. But uh, you know, I've never had anyone from the FAA show up and say any, you know, anything bad. They come around sometimes and they look, but it seems like they don't really even know enough to know what they're looking for because the FAA is a big government organization and they're. Uh, they have a pretty broad job description, so I don't feel like they're really getting us down either. No, I think the FAA is confused by skydiving skydiving in general. In Indiana, our, our local FAA inspector, I say ours, I worked there at that point, the guy actually came in and would hang out on weekends and say, hey, man, I'm from the FAA. Part of my job is to oversee skydiving. I don't know anything about skydiving. Legitimately say those words. Man, I want to hang out and just watch you guys teach me. He'd hang out in the loft and ask questions like, so what are you doing there? Oh, that's cool. And just took a general education. And to me, that was an awesome inspector because he got educated and then he could communicate with his bosses. Mm. In the Northwest, the manufacturer uh, had their manufacturing facility in Washington State. They moved to Oregon State under a different FAA office. They have to resubmit their plans. Hey, this is what we do. This is what we build. The FAA said, we won't approve that here. What do you mean? We've been doing this for years this way. Uh, this is a different region. That's not how we believe the FAA rules are stated. So 
the FAA is a little bit loose with us, so much so that I don't think they understand what they're doing either. But uh, I think if we're smart, they'll leave us alone. Australia, you guys are required to have that APF. Do yeah. you do you do you think the Australian culture feels overburdened or overbearing by these rules? I don't know, man. Like for me, the APF's actually been like really cool. Like they provide a lot of awesome things. They they've got like that's organizes a lot of events like at nationals and things like that. And it's I've met a lot of, like a few of the people that actually work for it, and so far it's actually been like they're it's a pretty good organization. Like we don't sort of. Yeah, like have too much beef with them. Like they're cool. A lot of them are jumpers, like really yeah. experienced jumpers, and they're just sort of trying to find the safest way to like grow the sport because it's becoming like ever increasingly bigger. More people keeping it safe, and they yeah they put down rules, but it's most of it's because of a reason. You know, like there's a rule there for a reason, and that's why we don't do something because it keeps us safe. What's it like to be on a hold for clouds in Australia? <laughs> well, luckily where i'm from um the drop zone that i used to work at don't know how it works i fully don't understand it but the clouds like on our exact drop zone would just pretty much go around us oh beautiful it was like i think we got like a lot of mountain rain like there's mountain ranges yeah. and it's got something to do with the altitude and they go around but it was almost like they would just part and go around like just well my understanding i could be wrong here you probably know dj that yeah. they don't have the same sort of cloud clearance regulations that we do. I think we've got different rules. I think they, the, I think the I mean I was told that you sign a waiver that well, says no, yep clouds we've got, we've got, signature um, do whatever you want. Oh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's actually like um, I think we've got paperwork put in so we can jump in certain conditions, but it's I don't think it's the same rules as you have over here. What is it? It's like oh, five miles and not a lot tighter than that. Yeah, yeah, we're not supposed to be anywhere near clouds. And and Nick, I think. I agree with you. I thought it was the same way in most places in the country, or excuse me, in, in the world besides the U.S., you can jump through clouds. The fucking clouds go through them. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think we jump through yeah. clouds. No. You saw a video the other day uh, yeah. from Phil Palmer, my, uh, Phil Palmer, the followed by myself. Yes, that was terrifying. And, Nick, did you see this video of the close airplane flyby we had recently? No, that sounds uh, exciting. Um, I'll have to show it to you later on. It's on yeah. the recording computer. Uh, this plane is coming straight at Phil Palmer. It turns and banks away. Film's got it on video. How big is this airplane? Um, it's probably a four-place. It's a little low-wing. Couldn't tell what it was. Went by too quick, too close. Um, after it went around Phil, you know, basically belly to Phil, it leveled back out. And as it leveled back out, I finished doing a 270. My 270, if I stopped at a 180, would have went right in front of the plane. I didn't see it. I just finished a turn and got lucky and went by a plane. So yeah. what? this is a pretty low-flying airplane, that it sounds like. 1,000, 1,200 feet, maybe. Maybe a little bit lower, somewhere around that area. Um, I felt the repercussion of the engine really? as it went by. I mean, dude, it's. I've been close to shit in free fall. I've been close to shit under canopy. and I've had my closest person open to me under canopy this year and the closest airplane fly to me this year, all within about a month's time frame. It was crazy. Now imagine, let's go back to clouds. Imagine we're coming out of clouds. If, if if this were to happen, the pilot didn't see us in time because we're coming out of clouds. He would have never banked away. Yeah. And you know, if you can see my hand, I'm banking my hand at probably a 60 degree angle. That plane was definitely over 45. There. That's um, especially with GoPros and stuff. Like yeah. everything sort of looks a lot smaller when a plane looks that big on a GoPro. Like that's <sighs> terrifying. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like. Of um, we've had a couple of ones this year earlier on with me and um, one of my mates like Connor. 
where we've had a plane go in between us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was pretty close. Like, I think Connor ended up flipping this guy off and he was looking at him <laughs> as, he come, as he went by. This happened here? Yeah. Wow. And that was earlier on this year. That was um pretty close one, but yeah, nothing like that one. Man, if you... Uh if you don't know, if you jump at Spaceland Houston, one of the things that a lot of jumpers don't necessarily realize is there's an airport south of us, Brazoria County Airport in Angleton. And if you're shooting an approach, which is just a type of approach to come land, if you're shooting an instrument approach, you actually, that goes through us. It doesn't go through us, but that's the line into it. Yeah. So there's actually a path planes want to follow that goes straight through our airspace. Uh, commonly, they're lower than they uh, need to be to be on rate than they should be to be in, tra- in touch with air traffic control. Um, they aren't on frequency or, or on radio that they could or should be, so they know that we're in the air. Hmm. And one of the things that, that's a lost art in a lot of big skydiving drops ones is spotting. Look down and make sure you don't see airplanes coming yeah. from directions, from distances away. Um, it's hard to find all those things, but if we all take our chance and look, maybe one of us can stop a group from it from having to happen. Yeah, I think that's it. Like it's just um, like especially the pilots that do end up cruising over. Like it's probably just not understanding what's happening. I think that's probably yeah. the biggest thing. Like um, skydiving is a sport. Like before I had anything to do with it, I didn't understand it. I didn't know that people just spent their weekends jumping out of planes and it's just continually all day, like twenty, thirty loads or something like that. So. When you've got that many people going down, like, and as someone who is a pilot, that they probably, they look down, they might see an airport and they're like, oh, I can't see any planes, but they don't realise that like 14,000 feet above it, there's people <laughs> jumping out of them. Yeah. So like, I think it's, it's probably just lack of knowledge. So taking nothing away from the pilots that do end up cruising over, I think it would be cool sure. if they were a bit better educated. And that's where it comes down to like, probably the local pilots and stuff that actually fly there regularly. They understand it's like, righto. Here's a drop zone, stay away from it. But the people that might be new or they're just flying in or doing a stopover or whatever, um, just not understanding what's going on there. Like, I don't know how the rules exactly work around drop zones. Like, whether you, I suppose they'd hear it over the radio saying, like, um, you know, we're dro- you know, yeah. dropping loads. Or on the charts, which are fancy words for maps, the aviation maps, on the charts uh, there is a marking that says this is a drop zone or a jump center with a radius around it. Yeah. Our jumpers, or excuse me, our pilots announce jumpers away from whatever, 14,000 feet. Yeah. Parachutes from 5,000 feet and below. They might say that. Um, and so people should know what's going on. But yeah. number one, that's assuming they're listening to the radio they should be listening to. Number two, you said something I haven't thought about in a long time. If I look, Nick, think about this. You're not a skydiver. You look at a map. You're a pilot. Hey, look, that's a jump center. They probably jump there every now and then. What's the chances that place throws up 50 planes full of people on a Saturday to drop jumpers? Yeah, Yeah, That makes sense. Yeah, like... They they wouldn't think that. That's that's the thing, just not understanding. Like, especially with this sport, I didn't know people done this. Before I started, like, I always heard of, like, tandems and things like that. And I'm like, it's, like, a big part of, like, a lot of people's life. They go to a tandem. They're, like, I've skydived. But then um, I think that's one of the things that drew me to it. Like, I ended up just getting straight in. I think my first jump was, like, a static line or IAD. What made you do your first jump? Um, Well, I was, like, living way out west. And... In Africa. <laughs> pretty much. I was like, it's <laughs> desert out there, man. It's not far off it. There's camels and everything. They, the Dobbins was from Africa as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like Mount Isa, Concurry sort of way, which is 
pretty much close to the border in Northern Territory. So everyone in Australia lives around the coast. Yeah. No one lives up there, but I was one of the ones that did. The <laughs> Northwest, like, basically. Yeah. So um, I was up there and I'd just been working, like I was doing my apprenticeship as an electrician and holidays come up. And as soon as holidays used to like roll around, I'd just get on my motorbike or my car. I used to have like a wagon. So I'd just put a bed in the back, pack everything up and just go drive like no destination just getting away for a few weeks and um i had a bit of cash saved up and i thought i'd really like to start skydiving i knew nothing about it and then i was just you know late night probably having beers looking on my phone and then i found this place called skydive ramblers and they had this you know af course or they had this thing called an iad course and i was like the iad course was like 2600 australian and the af was like three and a half grand or 3,200, so I was like, well, it's cheaper, and, you know, it was within my budget at the time, so I ended up just booking in and going and doing it, uh-huh. so yeah, um, I think I got to be one of the first IAD students in Australia, like, that's, I think, I think someone come over from America or Canada or something and train these guys up how to do IAD, which was the replacement for static line, which if don't understand what that is with static line you're hooked up to a line which actually deploys your main parachute with iad the instructor actually um the instructor actually holds your pilot chute Mm -hmm. over your shoulder and when you jump out they release it so yeah i got to do that and that's um i think where i sort of fell in love and with the culture of this whole sort of thing so that's how i started I, IAD instructor, it, IAD and static line are the exact same progression, just a mm. different deployment method set and different done. Different deployment method. Um, is, is it uh, in Tugulawa? Is that Tugulawa? Tugulawa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just looking it up here. I'm it's glad a, you tried was, it first. Well, I've got the New Jersey. I was going to wear it tonight, but I wore it yesterday. So it was dirty. But like, someone was trying to read it the other day and that like spell it and understand what it said. Yeah, Tugulawa. So I I would immediately say Tugula. Yeah. Is that close enough? Tugs. Tugs. And, and <laughs> the only chance in hell I have to say Tugula is uh, Royce, Luke Evans, or Luke Smith. No, Luke. God damn it. Yeah, Luke Smith. Yourself, a bunch of these other guys, and actually... Luke... Luke Rogers. Rogers. Fuck. Mm. Luke Smith is... Lukey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those were a lot of different people. Luke uh, Luke Rogers. And actually, Royce and Luke are both affiliated with Koppel. That's, yeah. I think... Some of the first people I learned about Koppel from. Yeah. And, and dude, that guy sounds... Dude, he's a cool he, person to sport, man. Like, yeah. He loves to share skydiving. He yeah. loves to grow the sport. And he has a wicked beard. This is what I've heard about this man. Beard's epic. Uh, he's my... Uh, dude, I like a good beard. Yeah. I like the other shit, man. Man, how did you get to meet Koppel? It was a weird situation. So um, I bought a rig and you know online and mm. the one thing i was told is go through a rigger so i went through a rigger end up buying this rig and remember vortex yes yeah so um when they had that recall so i had my rig down at copples at that time getting what yeah you know getting repacked and putting an aad in it and all that sort of stuff and had it down there and then before i was about to go on a holiday like down there he ended up giving me a call and he's like yo what's up um your rig they're doing a recall it was like some hardware mm-hmm. issues and he's like you know right, right, we've got to send it back but luckily enough like they're like they're, they're gonna replace it for free like no cost so i was like it's it worked out to be quite good because i ended up getting a 
brand new container re- refitted to me, like perfect size, like everything, nice. my own colors and whatever. So that, that was super cool. But um, so I had that down there and then I end up, that's where I end up like meeting him through, like it was just buying equipment. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved down, like we already had that sort of friendship established that, you know, I was, and I was just sort of said, like, I want to learn more about the sport. And he just said, like, rock up Monday. Like it was as simple as that. And yeah, that's how it started. It's crazy, man. You start as a customer of his, and I, I love the attitude he has, but it's kind of the way the sport works. Yeah. Show up. If you show up, you're probably going to learn, up, man. Be keen and just, yeah, like that's what I, I just kept showing up. And that's, he's like, yeah. If you don't go away, we'll eventually have to know. teach you, man. Yeah. I mean, you could be as annoying as Nick Lott when he first showed up. No, that's that wasn't you. I'm sure it was bad when. When I showed up. You actually weren't really annoying at all. No, not here. Okay. When I started to learn how to skydive. Oh, yeah? How's that? Oh, I was just way too excited. You know, they, I did my first two tandems same day. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they didn't, this was Utah in April. The season had just started. They didn't have enough people to to have a a ground school yet. So I was waiting for more people to, to be on the list. So I was bugging them all the time. Did you hang out at the DZ while you were bugging them? Oh, yeah. So you were there every week? Well, th- it was a weekend-only thing. Okay. I mean, they, they do open up, I think they do Wednesdays, midday, and when it's actually summer, but it's mostly a, mostly a weekend place. So yeah, I'd rock up every weekend, and uh, they were having a, they used to have parties at the drop zone that I don't think they do anymore because some people got too crazy and did some, <laughs> there, there's an Air Force base right up the, maybe it's 10 miles up the road, uh-huh. and every once in a while, someone who was a skydiver and also F-16 pilot, would park the F-16 out on our, our ramp at the drop zone. Badass. Super cool, right? <laughs> yes. And they, he would do flybys sometimes, yeah, yeah. like really low passes. And it's um, it's a big airport, 8,000-foot runway at our airport there. So he could, as long as he got clearance from the tower, he was, he was doing some crazy stuff. But people got too drunk, went outside, had some fun on the airplane, taking pictures Whoa. and stuff. Yes. So from then on out, there was no partying at the at the drop zone. <sighs> but no, I showed up like super uninvited. Oh, you guys are hanging out, yada yada. I didn't, you know, I didn't drink at all. I was just there to hang out, be loud, try and talk about skydiving when I knew nothing about it, <laughs> and uh, yeah, be obnoxious. I nailed it. Oh man, it's so interesting to see that that brand new jumper show up yeah. and be super enthusiastic. Uh, John Cheeseman was different than you, but the same as you. John Cheeseman had two t- uh, his second tandem and was ready to sign up for the ground school and showed up and hang out for safety day one day. But he was super inquisitive in the right way. Like, he, John Cheeseman immediately grabbed my attention. Like, this guy's asking a lot of fucking questions, but they're all good questions. They're the right kind of questions. He's listening. Like, this dude le- legitimately wants to get into this shit. Or there's the, hi, Nick. It's good to see you again, buddy. And uh, ho- hopefully we're not that type. We, I want to kind of go back, and we'll, if you've ever listened to the show, you know we weave back and forth to the rigor part now. You've got a Packer A. Yeah. It, it's 10-pack job, supervision. Uh, really, this now allows you just to pack reserves for people under supervision. Yeah. No, the Packer A is... So you can pack reserves. Yeah. Koppel can go fuck off, yeah. do whatever he wants, and you're packing reserves and you're good to go. Yeah. Okay. Now... Koppel's a rigger. Yeah. So who is he licensed by? 
Um, APF. APF. So all of the parachuting system, all of the rigging and et cetera, is, is handled by APF. APF, yeah. And do you know what it takes to... Are, you are... Uh, you're a Packer A or are you a rigger? Packer A. Okay. Yeah, so it's... Um, you guys have scenery, which is... I think it's a pretty cool concept. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, what do you have? You have seniors and masters. Yes, sir. Like, it's cool. Like, senior rigger gives you a bit more, like, legality, like, things that you can do, like mm-hmm. patching parachutes and changing lines and things like that like the packer a is um pretty much it's it's packing the reserves and like putting equipment into service and things like that um i like the concept of senior rigger that's it's pretty cool because like i think master rigger that's when you can start working on like harnesses and things like that but your senior rigger you can do like a lot more than what a packer a can do so basically, for, for those of you who are listening, senior rigger lower, master rigger is higher. Oh, yeah. um, a ma- if, a, if a device has a TSO, a technical yep. service order, um, in other words, a standard that the FA holds it to an inspection, a qualification, if it has a TSO, a master rigger can work on it. Yeah. Um, not not completely. There's things that have to be worked on by the manufacturer, uh, Cypresses, for example. Yeah. Um, but other than that, but Cypress isn't TSO, it isn't. Um, it is a TSO device, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it's a TSO device. Mm. I'm pretty sure. I now I could remember wrong, Nick. If you want to look that up to make sure, I I don't. I'll try and find that. Yeah. Um, I always thought it was, but uh, a a senior rigger can work on anything. Other than that, so yeah. th- they can pack reserves, they can sew on main parachutes, uh, they they can do any of the other work. And to get your senior riggers ticket, you have to have, God, it's been a while, forty reserve repacks under supervision, not for use. In other words, um, I, I have over sixty at this point, pack job, reserve pack jobs, pack job, not for use, not for use. In other words, if I pack a reserve under supervision for my riggers ticket. People can't use it. Oh, really? It has to be open, inspected, and repacked by a rigger if somebody else is going to jump it, including myself. Um, when I started training as a rigger, I don't know if the rules were 100% different. Yeah. I don't know if we just interpreted them different. I think, if I remember right, clarification wasn't laid down by the FAA. Yeah. And people weren't asking. So all my 60-pack jobs, people have jumped. Yeah. I have three saves, not a lot of saves. Um, my last save was my wife. Yeah. And I stopped packing reserves because I'm like, man, if my wife, like, it got real. Yeah. My wife could die under this like, reserve, and my, I don't want that responsibility. My first save was myself. Yeah. Cool. My first save was a guy named John Judy. I yeah. had three reserve pack jobs. It was the third one. I packed his main parachute the next day. Yeah. The next day, him and his teammate, Eric Jen, make a skydive as two AFF instructors. Matching rigs, matching mains, matching everything. So one of them has a cutaway. One of them, has a re- uh, one of them doesn't. I packed Eric's main. Yeah. I packed John Judy's reserve. So I either packed my first malfunction or my first reserve ride. Yeah. I didn't know which. It's standing on the ground looking up. Dude, I, it's a nerve-wracking thing. Yeah, and then yeah. they took 20 minutes to get back to the DZ. Somebody picked them up, brought them back. Yeah. And when they walked up, I saw John with his reserve. I went, yes! And he's like, you're a fucking dick. Fuck. And, you know, good friend, but he's like, fuck you, bro. I'm like, no, no. I packed my first chopper, my first day. He's like, oh, fuck yeah, bro. Yeah. It was such a, a nerve-wracking idea, but... When when it was vows, it just it became too real for me. Yeah. I, I don't want that responsibility of packing people's shit. It definitely is, and um, I never re- I never took it lightly. Like um, when I was working packing mm-hmm. reserves, like it's always something that I worried about because with a main you're packing it, it's going to get the next jump. With a reserve, yeah. it's going to be in there for six months. Australia's recently changed; it's twelve months. Also, yes, not a big fan of that. Really not. But um, why not? I agree with you. Well, why not? This is the thing. Um, Australia is not like 
actually kind of similar to Texas. Like, it's hot. People with their rigs, like, you've got to take care of your gear. There's a lot of people that are like, they go out jumping the weekend, they might leave the rig in the boot of their car. That's or drunk. something like that. And it's hot. Yeah. Yeah, trunk. <laughs> I'm going to boot, but... but... Yeah, like, so, so it gets hot. It's like people jump on the beach. We've got sand, like, you know, dirt, everything like that. And 12 months is a long time. Yes, sir. Like it's and and because of our weather conditions, I don't think it's a good idea to have it that long because they like maybe Denmark or Poland or like UK they've got a jumping season. Yes, sir. So they jump for like six months of the year or whatever. In Australia, we jump all year. So you, you think about people, especially working in the sport. Like, you know, if you're AF or camera flying or whatever, it's not unnormal to do six eight hundred jumps a year. As a, as a, like, Afro ca- yeah. camera flyer or something like that, you know? So, 800 jumps a year. That's a lot of movement, things happening. It, yeah. Have you seen a reserve closing loop? Yes, sir. It's not that thick or big or something like that. It's like, you know, so it's putting a lot of stress on that. It gets mm-hmm. stretched, things change. Like, I, it's just a very long time to put on, like, one thing's after, yeah. Nick, what was the repack cycle in the U.S. when you started jumping? Ooh, it was definitely not 180 days yet. 120. It been, was it 120? Yeah, I thought it was, it was 90. Yeah. No, 120. 120? It's 120 when I started, so I'm guessing same as when you started. Um, yeah, you started before me. Yeah. So it's so 120 days, and that was a repack cycle, and the U.S. finally legalized 180 because all of these other countries had done it. Six months is... Yeah, that's, that's a lot of time. But at the same time, the things that you mentioned, uh, uh, hydroscopy is things sucking, absorbing, pulling in water. Yeah. And your rig absorbing moisture, absorbing water, getting any moisture in it, getting condensation in it. Have you ever opened up a bag of something mildew and moldy? Yeah. How fucking A, nasty does it look? B, how stuck together could it be? Lines and tension knots on your reserve. And finally, how degradated is that material and the quality of the product? But the thing that you mentioned is, Nick, I don't know if you noticed when we went from 120 to 180, Reserve pilot chutes sit nice, flash, flush. We shouldn't see reserve pilot chutes sticking up at all through flaps. Yeah. But now, today, you see more reserve pilot chutes rocking or the lips sticking up. Yeah. There's, there's a big part to that, to packing, too, um, which is where it's good to actually learn from a proper rigger, especially yes, rigs with, like, semi or exposed pilot chute, like, reserve pilot chutes. And, um, like, with, with something like a Vector or an Icon, which is fully enclosed... It's actually a completely different pack job than what you'd put on like a wings or a javelin or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a, especially for like, you know, new players in the game, not understanding there's actually a big difference. It's hard to learn that in a small amount of pack jobs. Like the, every rig has its own thing that it likes to be packed. Like like a velocity compared to packing a wings. Like that it's... Like it's everything, the basics are the same, but the way that you're actually moving material and setting it up is completely different. I think yeah. that's I've seen new pack jobs, especially on things like wings and javelins, where someone's got a new pack job, and you know there's a quarter inch sitting on each side of the pilot chute, like they haven't set the material properly. And I think that's a big part about where it's good to do more of an apprenticeship style thing, because you learn that sort of stuff, and it takes time to actually be taught that and understand it what you're uh, talking about uh, we commonly call bulk distribution yeah. and and i don't know if you've ever noticed but sometimes you'll 
for example, my Infinity, not every rigger knows how to pack an Infinity well. Yeah. I've gone to drop zones that don't have a lot of Infinities, and when they do, the pack jobs look really poor, and it's because there's a little less bulk in the bottom, what we call the bone, and a little bit more bulk in the ears, which is the top uh, right and left side of the, of the reserve, and the bulk distribution is different, fills out the pack job better. Yeah. That might be an aesthetics of the rig. It might be how flaps stay closed well, and I know a lot of rigs that have flaps coming open issues, not because the rig is poor, but because a poor rigger packed it. If you're jumping a rig and your riser covers are coming open all the time, it might not be the rig design. It might be. It very well could be riggers aren't properly distributing the bulk. Yeah. The closing loop you talked about, uh, a pre-stretching them, not every rigger does that. It has to happen. It, it, it's, to me, it's a must. It's it has to. Like, I've never made a closing loop without yeah. tension it. Yeah. And then how many riggers who do tension it don't tension it enough? Yeah. Because now your reserve sits in there, your reserve pilot chute sits in there, and if you folks are listening to this and you look at your reserve pilot chute, if you can thumb it side to side and rock it at if all... you get a line under it. You can get a line under it if it's exposed. Yeah. If it's not exposed, if it's enclosed, you can't get a line under it, but for both of them, now you have a weaker spring launch. Yeah. And your burble is, is crazy. Um, if you're launching a total malfunction, if you're belly to earth and your reserve comes up, have you ever seen video of what a reserve pilot shoot does on somebody's burble who's stable? It's uh, Bill Booth uh, makes UPT rigs, the, yeah. the designer. I think he's the one who came out with this video and came out with these numbers. And if I remember it right, it's 30 hertz or uh, 30 cycles a second of wind oscillation. Yeah. So if you picture a burble or the wind hitting your body, the air goes around one side of your body and then around the other side of your body at 15 times per second per side, yeah. 30 hertz. And, man, I'm quoting it from a seminar I heard from a UPT guy. So I'm, I'm trying my best to remember it. Tom Noonan, actually. You, you remember Tom? Dude just jumped over the fucking pyramids did you see that did he really no i didn't see that dude bill booth just jumped in front of him these guys just had a c-130 a whole fucking crew of people jumped over the pyramids it's such a gorgeous fucking view a gorgeous sight man you can find it on facebook nick if you're checking it out tom wants to come back and share that experience with us he, t- he told me about it a couple months ago but um uh, your reserve pilot chute, so your burble is, is pushing air back on your back and if you launch a reserve pilot chute straight up out of your back stable chances are it might catch that burble and oscillate so you want a super strong spring launch to get that thing clear of all that burble so that loose closing loop that we talked about really does does make a huge difference you see pilot shoot uh uh, rock on your rig when you're given a gear check ask your rigger to tighten the closing loop yeah if he won't tighten the closing loop in that repack find a new rigger and that's okay Not every rigger's for me, and I'm not going to insult the ones that aren't. I'm just going to find the ones that work for me. Yeah. So um, you're, you've now come to America. Now, man, i got to do this real quick. A shout-out to my good friend Skull, man. He knows who he is. He's listening to the show right now. Papas, I love you, buddy. You're a good motherfucker. Don't be angry. He is an angry young man. He's not that bad. I just like to talk shit. I game with this guy a lot, and... Uh, you know the guy that every time he dies, everything's a fucking piece of fucking shit. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah. Love you, Papas. Um, so now you move to America to jump for a year. You've got yeah. all this background. Your goal was to really come to America to build your future in the sport. Is that yeah. a good way? I think that's pretty much what I've been doing, yeah. Man, our buddy Glenn has uh, also done the same thing. We had Glenn on the show, and he actually got his ratings and works full-time at Skydive Spaceland Houston right now. And, and it's been super cool. 
of course, uh, for you, you're looking to work anywhere else, uh, abroad, all over. If you can get a visa to work in the U.S., I know that's a, uh, that'd a be cool. interest. It's a very hard place to work. But I know you're looking, and, and, and you've mentioned a few of the countries. You've got a lot of super cool options. But what do you think you can do on this jump package that gives you that opportunity? Why, why use this as that advantage? Um, I think it's just the sheer experience that you can get in one year, like especially jumping, fun jumping. Like it's there's a lot of people with like a lot of jumps and you can do that with tandem and things like that. But on this package, like it's you can literally do whatever you want, like whatever you want to work. Like Henry, for instance, he come in as a skydiver. He's gone to wingsuiting and he's just like he's crushing it at the moment. Like he's doing lots of jumps and that's where he's going with it. Like you've got the option to train whatever you want to train for. So I think that's that's been the coolest thing for me. Like um. I think that's sort of where where I want to go. Like I'm trying to use this year more and more for training. Like when we get really nice days, it's like low winds. Mm-hmm. It's been a bit rough the last week or so. We've been sitting at like 15s and Lame. 20s, like standard. But like as soon as we end up with that, like as soon as the wind drops, like having that opportunity to just go like, yep, I'm going to smash out like 15 hot and pops today if I want to. And just being able to like keep rolling it. So that's what I'm trying to use this year for. Like, it's been really good with like free flying and stuff like that. So that's been lots of fun. There's always something going on. But um, yeah, like I think what I'm trying to do is more use this year in like a sort of selfish sort of way, like just sure. working on what I want, want to do, which is, yeah, like with that canopy falling, like, and it's so cool to have that opportunity to do that. I've noticed you, campy piloting is part of it, but you seem to do a bit of everything. You you and Zach Boyd. Yeah. And by the way, Zach's going to be joining us sometime probably September, October. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, he's going to go travel for a month, including do nationals and FLCPA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, go back with some good stories from that. Dude, and some good experiences. So I'll be excited to hear that kid who got his ass drugged to a drop zone, dropped on the drop zone and said, you will work <laughs> and you will like it. And uh, suddenly turned into one of the most passionate skydivers we've ever met. Definitely. It's been cool to hang out with this year. Like, it's taught me a lot. Yeah. Like, it's cool having that person that's um, similar goals, mm-hmm. and but he's just been doing it for a bit longer. So it's been cool to have that person you can, like, bounce ideas off and ask questions and things like that. Like, it's yeah. definitely been a... And he's pretty level-headed for a kid. Yeah, definitely. He's a young man. He's 21 now? 21, yeah. Man, and, and he's definitely doing well for himself. But back to you. Fuck you, Zach. Um, you are you're using this opportunity, and you do you belly jump when you can. Yeah. You do a lot of free flying with Zach. Yeah. You'll jump with other jumpers. I've noticed that uh, you commonly jump with a, a skill set that makes you better. You're always trying to jump with people better than you, so you, they can write, uh, bring you up. But you also aren't uh, afraid to say yes to the people who are below you. When I say below you, I'm a brand new jumper. I don't think you'll jump with me. Yeah. There's a chance Angus, if he's busy, he's he's doing his thing, man. Yeah. We all we all have said have plans, but you help out people as well. well it's because it happened to me. That's the funny thing about this sport. Like I, I still remember thinking back, like with the guys that like when you first start and you look up to them, you're like, these guys are crushing it. You know, they're doing sick angles, they're free flying, they're doing this, that, and the other. And when someone like that gives you the time of day, and when they're like, you're like, oh, I'm you know learning how to do this or I'm learning like something like that and they put in their own ticket and go jump with you mm-hmm. it's a cool feeling when you start when you end up jumping with these people that you're like looking up to and then they're just like they give you the time of day and they're like yeah let's go for a jump it's a really cool thing and like I try to give that back as much as I can because you can learn so much from well, everyone's got something to teach you everyone in the world so it's yeah cool to actually like try give that back as much as you can mm-hmm. 
because it really does help your progression in the sport. It, so many people forget where they came from and that yeah. somebody helped them and somebody was before them. And yeah, we all rocked up and we were like, you're in the drop zone, you're like skydiving. It's yeah. this exciting thing. And it's super easy to think that, man, I'm too busy to deal with this. And then I can really use Nick and I as an example. When we're on the DZ, we're usually very, very busy with a lot going on on our plate. Yeah. But it's, it's one of the things that attracts me to Nick, that and his boyish smile. I, I hey. Oh. Those eyes. Um, is still, you know, a willingness to help people out. You know, we're not always able to, but when you can, you do. Yeah. Recently, you actually, I said recently, you've, I think, three or four courses now you've shot? Three. Yeah. Three. I've only done, I've done three this year here in Houston. Uh, you've actually helped out with three AFF instructor rating courses shooting video. Yeah. Man, how, how how do you like those weeks? What's it like uh, doing that? It's cool because, um, like, like I said, like especially through this year, like everyone's pretty much free flying. Like that's what we're doing all day, you know, head up, head down. That's what we're working on. So it's um, it's really good to stay current on your belly, and that's what I find. Like, it sort of gives me that one week where I get the first few jumps are a bit, you know, here and there, like sorting out levels and stuff. But by the end of it, just being like comfortable and being up, yeah, there, getting the shot, like. I think it's definitely something we should always practice. Like, the sport started with belly jumping, and I think people forget that, and they just go into free fly and just never fly in their bellies again. And, I mean, it's pretty uncool when you see someone with, like, 1,500 jumps going low on a flat jump because <laughs> they just don't know what they're doing, you know? So um, I think it's always good to, like, stay current in them sorts of things. And that's what I think it more provides me an opportunity where it's not just something where I'm – just on my belly trying to fly flat like it's actually something to work for and being like reactive flying like you, you're doing the course you're sp when you're doing the aft course all of a sudden you're like spinning or slow falling or fast falling or something like that like to keep it in frame like you're working so you're like thinking quick you're reading body language and it's actually more of a it just keeps keeps you sharp like i feel it keeps me sharp like belly skills so it's been a long time since I've been new to these courses. It's been a long time. Um, I, I still shoot every now and then. I get to shoot video of them. You know, if I'm training somebody like Hank or Chris Vidala on a small person course, I'll go be the video guy. And for me, being the video guy is the most fun. Yeah. Because I understand all three slots really well. And and you say reactive. I really try to preach the word proactive, proactive in AFF. Yeah. Read the body. If you yeah. see my feet go on my butt, you know I'm about to backslide. Yeah. Or watch me backslide and try to catch up. And that's the thing that you've gotten better at is I remember the first time you shot a course, you did a good job. Yeah. But you were, there was a lot of chasing, where now there's a lot of staying with me. Yeah. And, and Nick, you actually entertained me this week because you shot a video, and thank you very much. Angus rocked up a little bit later that morning than he expected. Oh, he would have been he would have made that call. Oh, he would have yeah. made it, but you were generous enough to help him let Angus do his thing and let Angus take his time instead of busting ass to get there. Yeah. And you shot a video. How long has it been since you shot a video of the course? It's a couple of years, I think. I would say it's been at least a year and a half, maybe longer. Yeah. So I'll tell you, your fucking video stood out this time. I was on that exit. Dude, it's <laughs> one of the things that always stood out to me about your videos in, in the AFF course is I've always thought you can be closer. And I think that all the time, but I thought it specifically of you because I know your skill set. I know your talent range. I know your awareness. And I've always thought, and I've mentioned here and there, you can be closer. And you've always been concerned or, I say, why don't I say concerned, respectful, like, well, I don't want to disrupt the candidate or get in their way. And I don't know if your awareness grew this week to where you can look around and see it more or if it was the candidate who was just so fucking good that made you comfortable to be there. 
I, I guess I just thought about the plan a little bit more. I thought about uh, instead of I, I knew what the plan for the jump was, mm-hmm. and I knew um, I guess I just had in mind where I didn't want to be and where I did want to be, and uh, just try to be there. Dude. But Leo was doing really well too, so. Yeah. Leo's phenomenal. He he is it. he is. You, you've shot a, a, a few videos yourself. You shot a, a bunch of videos yourself, and he's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So what's the goal for the rest of the year? You have five hundred plus jumps left. Um, I think I'll definitely like to walk away from this year with one rating, either ten or half. Uh huh. And I think it's just be more comfortable with the canopy that I'm flying. Like um, I'm sort of like starting to get the turn really dialed in. Like I think out of my last like five jumps of dragged water each time and that's been in like very different wind conditions so nice. i'm pretty happy with where i'm setting up to be where i want to be um i think the big ones now is probably to go more towards the freestyle things like i'm starting to get the canopy dialed in to be able to get the speed at a safe height and like good turn in I'm starting to work that out so i think now it's more to start going towards the more freestyle side of what i can do so i think i've been doing like um Switchblade Cowboys, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like both in toggles, come down, like, you know, drag the ground, bring them back up and land. I think um, I want to work on a few more things like that. I want to pause real quick and freestyle swooping. Oh, yeah. If you know, uh, some of our friends know what freestyle is, some don't. And if you ever watch Nick Lot land, then you know what freestyle is. Falling yeah. down? Is that what it's called? <laughs> that is what it is, man. So for the longest time, my favorite discipline of skydiving would be freestyle swooping, doing tricks on the ground, close to the ground while you're under a parachute. And, and Nick, you love freestyle. You commonly are trying to do something other than land normal. Fair statement? That's a fair statement, yeah. And if I had to define, and, and for many years I've defined freestyle swooping as controlled crashing. Yeah. There used to be a day and age if you hit the ground, and when you hit the ground, you kicked yourself into half a set of line twist, and then you pulled it out your ass at the other end, you just pulled off a spectacular crash. Yeah. Today we do it under control and on purpose, and it's called a blind man. Now yeah. it's been going on for a bunch of years, but man, uh, freestyle really kind of became a very dormant discipline. Yeah. And it's starting to pick back up. Who was it? Angus, do you know who it was who's bringing uh, freestyle back as a. I'm not sure. I want to say uh, the FAI, the IPC, somewhere in that range, which are. Yeah, in the FAI has a thing in Copenhagen, right? Aren't they yeah. behind that? Copenhagen and San Diego. Is that them? Uh, Mumphy's going oh, to that. Oh, by the way, I don't think Cypress is TSO. I couldn't find anything about it. Okay. Yeah. It'd be pretty obvious, I think, if it was. Yeah. Um, I do know that FAA does uh, say that we have to uh, maintain our AADs according to the manufacturer yeah. specifications. Yeah. So we do have some governing of them, but uh, not a TSO. No. Yeah, Swoop Freestyle FAI World Championships. So freestyle is coming back big time, man, and it's super cool. Freestyle, Nick, uh, one of Nick's favorite moves, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, is one of my absolute favorite moves, and it's a lazy boy. Lazy boy is good. It's reliable. Do lazy boy for a fucking life, and and probably my favorite combo is a lazy boy to switch back, which is, I think, your favorite combo as well. I usually do like a Superman, Superman to the switch back. Do you? Yeah, because I like to do the Superman like still uh, on my on my rears, uh-huh. and then I pop the toggles, and then I come up, and then as I'm right at the top of coming back up with my toggles that's when i do the pass behind my back on a lazy boy do you ever use your do you stay on your rears till you need your toggles to come back up 
Um, I guess it depends on like it seems like when I have more speed uh-huh. th- that I'm able to. Uh, if well, I'm still moving, I've, there's still a little more left in my rears to get back up on my rears and then transition to toggles. But uh, yeah, it's I guess sometimes I use them, sometimes I don't. So lazy boy, if you ever see restroom, restroom uh, right next to us, so door to the right. So if you're ever watching, guys, and we're going to... Uh, he's just taking a piss. He needs um, it. I'll see if I can find some freestyle stuff to throw um, up on the screen here. Nick, uh, or if you ever see Nick Lat, Nick Land, Nick's uh, one of his favorite moves, a lazy boy, is if you ever see a swooper lay their legs out in front of them and lean back like they're laying back in a lazy boy chair, that's called a lazy boy. And uh, it, it's it, you see a lot of good ones, a good proper lazy boy. You're actually going to see somebody with basically a plank, a very stiff, rigid body, chin up uh what we teach people is arch look back at your pilot shoot um you're not truly arching that's overdoing it but if you arch there's a good chance you'll probably get that straight uh superman is when you drag your feet and lay yourself out again like a plank straight out like superman if you're watching on facebook live right now nick actually pulled up the uh was this a promo video yeah it's, I, d- I just looked up uh fai is uh, it swooping yeah. i don't know how much uh it's not very long so yeah, it's a promo of some sort. It's only a minute and a half. Yeah, yeah, I remember this one. Uh, this one actually, I think, is... Go. Oh, it's going for a Miracle Man. I think he fell down. Miracle Man, you kick in a full set of line twists. You touch the ground, you give hundred. You get uh, all the way into line twist, land it. It's super easy, or not super easy, super nice move. Uh, those boys make it look super easy, but it's super hard. Um, this was actually uh, Copenhagen, or not Copenhagen. Um, is this Copenhagen? I thought so, but I, yeah. I could be wrong. And they're swooping over, uh, I can't remember what river it is, and they're actually landing in a raft. It was a pretty fucking cool event. Um, actually, there's a video of a dude during a barrel roll on a, uh, I want to say a Valkyrie during this event, across the water. Did you see that, Nick? I did. He made that look very easy, and that <sighs> is a very terrifying thing. Dude, a barrel roll at altitude makes me nervous. With, a, with, with these high-performance campies, it's easy, but it still makes me nervous. Doing it over the water, I'd shit my pants. Good thing I'm in the water. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm still trying to pull up more video. I'm pretty sure this is more stuff from Copenhagen. Yeah. Well, yeah. While we're waiting for Angus to come back, man, I just want to mention October 19th, 2018. You know what's going on? That is our film festival. You better get it ready, man. We are getting really close to having our, all our advertising in place. We're really close to getting all the information released. You're polishing up that video by the sounds of it. Oh, polishing I, up that video is a strong. It's a strong thing to say. And when I say polishing up the video, let me clarify because. You're you're finishing grabbing all the footage you want for it. There's a couple more things yeah, you want to so grab. I, I've been. I wish that I could use the, this looking to build video as my a promo because it's going to be a super fun video. That's just everything that I like about making videos. Mm-hmm. But uh, that it's it's taken up a lot of my time. Sure. And so uh, I've I've been uh, farming footage a little bit, just going through a lot of my fun you know recent highlights and and setting that aside to do something with it but uh when when do you think is the optimal date to uh to build hype for our for our film festival man i'm hoping let's see it's june july is rolling around i'm hoping in the next two weeks to get all the advertising out there as far as brochures and the facebook event page already exists but putting a banner on it and getting more of that launched. And then I would like to think maybe a month from now, month and a half from now, is when we'll finally release that promo video. Is that pretty realistic? I would say it's reasonable. Cool. Um, and, and that really is a timetable I'm hoping for. So I, 
works out pretty awesome. So this year, the film festival, man, I actually have a huge hope. What my biggest hope to see out of it, and Nick, I want to know what do you hope to see the most out of this next film festival? For me, it's the skit. You know, uh, I, I pimped the bastard, man. Blake Milford made a video called The Bastard for the Flyboys yeah, Film Festival. Yeah, it's so fucking off the hook, Shame. dude. Yeah. You know, if you if you find it in you to make a cool skit video, something that's telling a story, a true story, a lie story, a goofy story, something stupid, something yeah. funny, man, something to make people laugh, you can win this. But I'm hoping to see a just off the chain fucking skit. What's your hope this year? What are you looking for? I just want to see, uh, you know, I want it to be evident that people have spent time trying to make something good. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to make a shitty video. Yes. Like if you just download some software and you just throw a bunch of clips together, throw a song on there, it's pretty simple. Yes. But I just want to see uh, uh, just that people have taken time to make something cool. Dude, I gotta, I gotta give a big shout out to our Skydive Spaceland Houston crew last year. We had twelve submissions last year in Houston, and eleven of the twelve, I would earnestly say, put work into making those videos. Would you agree? I would say most people, most people did some work. Yeah, yeah. But now, you know, that was the first one. People, those, everybody who did that video, mm-hmm. everyone who entered a video, has now had an entire year to figure out how to be better at editing video. Everyone got to see the ones that, that won. They got to, you know, especially the people that went to the uh, to the film festival and got to... One thing that I like about uh, playing videos for people, even when it's just one or two people, mm-hmm. is I like to watch people watch the video mm-hmm. because I think that gives you a lot of feedback. It's like, it's like we both listen to a lot of stand-up comedy and hear people talk about honing the craft of stand-up comedy, but it's like... I. Most of the time when I make a video, you know, the huge, huge majority of people that see it, I will never see them because they're on the other side of the computer screen. So it's really cool to be able to play things for people and and watch the parts that, you know, either they are funny or they aren't funny or people laughed at something that I didn't mean it to be funny (laughs) or... Or, oh, I lost, you know, people started looking at their phone right here or, oh, now this clip feels like it's too long or whatever. Um, So... All those people got the chance to do that, and they've all had another year to figure out whatever software they were using and get a little bit better at it. So I hope everyone steps it up. All right, man. I'm super excited. I really, more than anything else, don't care what you bring. Bring quality, and I think that's what Nick is kind of mentioning, and I love that. And no matter what Nick Lott wants and no matter what I want for the best video, the world votes for this. At the local locations, at Houston, at Dallas, the crowd's voting for it. The global winner or the winner of the two locations, Facebook is voting for it. So it doesn't matter what we want. Yeah. We got Angus back. Angus, are you at, you know about this film festival? Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty keen on something this year. I've got something to be playing with, an idea of so far. Yeah, yeah. Something about doing something like something different. Should be cool. Like any insight, man? You gonna drop me any hints? Any? Um, I suppose you'll see it when you see it. Like oh man, when we turn off the mics, I'll be, see if I can ask. It's gonna be different. Cool, man. I'll tell you. The one thing you must include in your video. Last yeah. year, Nick, I don't know if you learned it, but there is one thing every video must have. What is it? No idea. He has no idea. Jimmy Wynn. Every fucking Jimmy. video. I don't, not every video. Man, how many videos was Jimmy Wynn in last year? It, it, 75% of them probably. Gosh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really have my eye out for that. This year, I'm going to name it the Jimmy Wynn Film Festival. Festival. I mean, we're just going to see how this goes. So... Angus, we got you back, man. You've made 500 jumps this year. Yeah. 
you're having a, a, a good time and you're looking to get that AFF rating because yeah. it's it's I think it makes more sense for me like where I want to go with the sport yeah. and what I enjoy doing like you know teaching coaching it's always a fun thing bringing people up like, yeah one of the things that you mentioned is bringing people up and we had Chris Fudala recently on the show and he yeah. calls it chasing light bulbs when people get that aha moment sharing the passion yeah so is this something that's natural in you, the desire to um, show a passion? Or is it something I think you learned from Koppel? No, no, I think it's it's more like probably who I am as a person. Like, it's, it's always cool to, like, teach people. And, like, you know that when you teach someone how to do something, they're going to share that on. Like, it just sort of keeps on going. Like, I think that's more of the sort of thing that I feel about it. Like, when, when you've taught someone how to do something or you've helped them out, like... Now it's something that's like it was a big part of your life, and mm-hmm. now you're sharing something that you're so passionate about and you enjoy so much with someone else. Like it just always, yeah, it just sort of it feels like a good thing to do. One of my favorite parts, and I've been a, it's been years. The, I was 2008 was the last time I was a full time instructor, so it's been a long time. Um, man, it's been 10 years. Holy shit! Yeah. This October is 10 years for me. Um, 2008 full time instructor. Man, I'm sorry, I've got gas now. Um, f- doing tandems is fun. It pays the bills. Yeah. And, and really, if you're working in the sport, you're going to probably have a better opportunity to make a living as a tandem instructor than AFF. Yeah, for sure. But AFF is still a fair opportunity, but you get to fly your own body. Yeah. I'm hanging from a drogue. I'm flying the exit, but I don't feel much wind on my body. Yeah. You know, it, it's uh, there's been times that you can jump, and if you're not a skydiver, this might sound crazy, but you can jump in rain with clouds above you, and you don't mean to, you don't try to, but there's yeah. been definite times we've come out of rainstorms in, in the sky. And Nick, I don't know if you've ever noticed tandem instructors whose arms and legs on their jumpsuits are totally soaking wet, but their body's completely dry from the windshield of a student. Have you ever? I, seen? I've never noticed that. No. Yeah, and, and every now and then we'll see that happen. So I, I'll, I'll be curious. You know the conditions. You'll see the conditions. Now start watching for those guys yeah. who do wear full jumpsuits. It's not as Hank. There's not as many of us anymore, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. Um, the tandem, you're you're not feeling the wind. AFF, you are. Yeah. AFF at the end of the skydive, the student pulls. And if they're pulling at 5'5, five, five, man, I might pull at 3.5. I can track away for a thousand feet, get plenty of separation, yeah. flip out on my head, fly on my head for a few seconds, do a sit, do a couple flips, turn, do something. Yeah. Have basically a hop and pop I and think then deploy. A, that's a that's a big part about AF is um which is the same way I felt about chasing tandems. It's a free hop and pop. Like yeah, like from the yes. plane till you open your parachute, you're working. But as soon as you finish that, you're kind of free to do whatever you want. And I think that's probably the best thing about having goals in the sport, which is canopy piloting. Uh-huh. It's definitely a better way to work in the sport. If that's like, It makes it easier to work in the sport. Like if you really want to get into free flying and things like that, then you work in the sport, but then you end up having to spend money to train. Mm-hmm. Um, with goals of canopy, like the best thing about it is you're getting paid to train if that's the discipline you want to go down. Yes. I think that's the best part about it. Like, Nick, I don't know if, if you've used that or if that's been an advantage for you, but that, that was one of the reasons I shot video and I shot AFF or I did AFF. I'm getting paid to swoop. Mm. I mean, all you really do, not all, you, you, you video. That's what you do in as far as skydiving full-time. You shoot video. Why do you only shoot video? I've never asked. I mean, I've always just wanted skydiving to be fun. And uh, video, it's like, I'm not directly responsible for the safety of the passenger. 
That's someone else's job. It's like I gotta get the shot and have a good time. That's my job. Mm-hmm. I gotta sh- I gotta fly up, have fun, high five, whatever. And uh, you know, I guess I don't really think it in a way of uh, like I want to fly more. It's not really how my how my it's not the part of it that I'm chasing. It's absolutely true that I definitely get to fly more and become a better belly flyer, better videographer. I guess videographer is implied, but. Uh, I feel like there's a lot more growth there. That when I think about uh, tandem instructors, like the, the the people who only do tandems and that's it, no fun jumping, no nothing. It's a really stagnant place, and mm-hmm. uh, it seems like it gets to be a pretty unhappy place for a lot of people that spend a lot of time doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to be that guy. And uh, AFF, I've just never, you know how I feel about, you know how you know my ability to stress myself out. Yes. And I just don't want to give that any bigger of an opportunity. And I feel like that that that, that might be what AFF would turn into for me of uh, just more stress than fun. So I just want it to be fun. I think it's super fair for people to understand that as much as, as Angus has a desire, you don't. And it's it's you need to reasonably think about this. The one thing you said is stress yourself. But the other thing that I actually think about with you, which can also be the biggest challenge for me for AFF, is the difficulty I have engaging with somebody who's being difficult where I just want to say, fuck you, man. What the, are you, you going to take this serious? Are you going to fucking do this or aren't you? And I could see you dealing with people who won't take it serious. And, and yes, we're supposed to have fun skydiving. Yes, I still want you to have a good time. The part you take serious is you could die doing this, so pay attention to these safety ideas that I'm trying to teach you. And I think if you ran across those assholes as an AFF instructor, you'd probably be done pretty quick. I mean, I, th- I think that I'd have the tact and patience to deal with a difficult person. But uh, I, I, not to say that I would like it. Uh, Luke Rogers says you're a sexy bastard, by the way, Mr. Angus. So is Luke. A- and <laughs> uh, but th- that's not the part. Like, dealing with a difficult student isn't the part that stresses me out as far as, like, attitudes and stuff go. It's just, yeah. like, in free fall. I mean, I know that I don't, well, that I'm not the worst guy ever in the world. Like, <laughs> I'm not the best. I'm not the worst. Like I've got a, You're not I, bad. I've, I've got a reasonable skill set, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like I see the people who are AFF instructors that I know, you know, people that I have more experience than, and people that I might, you know, consider myself to have a, a broader skill set than. And I see the, those people do it, and that's cool. Which I can infer I could probably do it, but uh, there's just a. I don't know. Maybe you'll change my mind when we finally go on this AFF jump that we've, we've talked about. You know I have no goal but, to change uh, your mind. But I just don't have the motivation yeah. to, to do it, so I don't do it. Yeah. You do realize I have no goal to change your mind about this. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's also possible that I have a really big misconception about what it's actually like to be that instructor on that jump. Yeah. And I, that's not lost on me. I know that I might be imagining it differently or that... Uh, you know, I'm, I am I like doing coaching, like zip fly coaching, I, and I... You know, those light bulb moments, I can certainly relate to how rewarding it is to see someone get a thing that you're trying to help them get. But, uh, yeah, just just don't have the desires. It's not there. Man, the stress of AFF, there's no doubt, can get to you. Uh, no matter how patient you are, it, it can be a stressful time. It takes so much more time. And that's one of the advantages of tandem and tandem video. Yeah. Your time with the student is extremely limited compared to AFF, where you're spending double the time per jump with a person sometimes. Yeah. Or you're jumping with the same person all day, which, you know, there is a blessing in tandem video or tandem instruction. Hi, my name is DJ. I'm going to be your instructor or video guy. Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm a dick. I'm going to tell you everything you're doing wrong. 
those engagements last very quickly. You know, have you ever had that tandem student as a video guy where you're going like, oh, 15 minutes. That's all I got to do. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't have that thought. But, yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I definitely save that in my pocket. The majority of people I've dealt with as a TI or a video guy has been super pleasant. They've been exciting. They've been fun. They've been celebrating. But, man, every so often I look at somebody as a 15-minute block of time. Just that way I survive them. But you want to do AFF, you want to share that, and yeah. you want to swoop. And that really brought us back to the last part, is it's a free hop and pop. You're liking freestyle. Yeah, I think that's, that's it's at the moment, like everything, like this year, it's a bit of a weird thing, like um, when you've got so much unlimited, like you can just do whatever you want. Yeah. I, I found myself at one point, like at the beginning of the year, it was like three months and not jumping, like it was just, and then like falling in and out, like love the sport, like at the moment, like I'm just doing really like getting heaps of jumps in the weather's like perfect uh-huh. like so it's been really good lately um so i sort of go through phases about what you want to do like um recently i've been more just working on that turn um building up confidence over water which has been a big thing like learning how to drag water that was that was a really weird one like <laughs> when i was putting a f- foot out behind me and like you know sweeping like that and i'm walking in i'm like cool that was fun but then i got a wet shoe so, like, you know, you end up with wet feet. So now at the moment, like, it seemed like Franny, and Franny does all the time, and um, Fran, Franny, um, yeah. Franny? Franny. Um, at Space, uh, space Scooter. Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. 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 Sorry, man. I'm like, it's drawing a blank for I a second like, there. I was like, Franny? Are we talking about Fran Drescher all of a sudden? Uh, you know, yeah, he's Francisco. also known as Scooter to some of us. Yeah, so, like, I sort of watch him do it a lot. Like, I sort of watch people do things, and yeah. I'm like, well, if they can do it, oh, I'm going to try. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, like, having the two feet out in front of you. And I had, I think, like, the first first time I ever actually come over the water really nicely, it was just perfectly glass. I just had an awesome turn. And it was, um like, I come out and, like, the two feet in front, and it was like um you, you wakeboard or ski or anything like that. I... I would call it trying. Yeah, so it, yeah. it sort of felt the same because it was just pure glass. Like, there was no bumps or nothing. Uh-huh. And then just almost like having your feet is kind of like it's sucking in and, like, it sticks you up, but you're just cruising across the top of it. And it was just, like, a, like, really cool feeling. And I was like, yeah. so that's what I've been sort of chasing at the moment, like, that same sort of thing, like, getting out there, like, getting distance, getting the right setup to be, like, not too far forwards and things. So that's what I've been working on now. But, um... I'm sort of slowly going towards the way, like me and uh, Ben Salata, the kid. <sighs> so he's been he's been really rocking his um, lazy boys and stuff like that. Like, no, that's not him doing a lazy boy. That's him standing up. <laughs> he looks like he's laying down because he's so fucking short. <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm. I love you, Ben. Bet bet to go through like more. Go to that sort of sides of things, like um, especially with the smaller canopy and stuff. Now, like with this 84. Um, like, I want, want to go into freestyle, like, understanding how to move my weight around the harness mm-hmm. without turning the canopy. Like, I think that's always the biggest part. Like, you know, you can spin under... When I was on the 149 and things, like, I could just flip myself around behind that and it was like, it would just stay stable. Mm-hmm. But now on something that when you flip apart, like, flip around, like, that weight in the harness can, like, move that wing over. So, it's like trying to keep your body level and, like, and then being able to fly your canopy at the same time. Yeah. So it's cool. Like I've seen um, you do a lot of stuff like, and I'm like, that's a very small 
parachute. I know you're, you're jumping you're, a. You're, um, is, I'm flying a Valkyrie 71. Yeah, but you're, like, you're describing such... exactly my transition from flying a Chaos to yeah. flying a Valkyrie. Because uh, yeah, the Chaos so is super giving. Compared to just. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, you can still do a good harness turn on a Chaos. Yeah. But man, the, the harness I've put on a Valkyrie is so much more sensitive. Which is something I've been thinking totally about. Totally had to relearn it. And when, um, look, I've seen you and you. Um, VK like doing blind mans and things like that and I'm like that's a 71 like the smallest like even I'm finding with the 84 Velo like small harness inputs and stuff will like dive my canopy and turn it and um, I've heard a lot about Chaos I've personally never jumped one they're fucking um, awesome I want to try it <laughs> but like if I get the opportunity this year and someone's got one sitting around like I'd be super pumped to give it a shot got but a 78 sitting in my locker right now I'd be so down <laughs> to give that a shot because um, especially the guys from Australia like a lot of the dudes that were freestyle swooping back when it was like at the forefront of skydiving, like it was a really big thing, and that's what they reckon. They're like, it's such a stable wing, like it just flies straight. Like, and you've got that opportunity. But then, um, starting to fly more things like Velos, I really want to try VK pretty soon. And um, but yeah, like that slight harness input just turns it. Yeah. So yeah, like it would have been. That's what I'm trying to figure out now, like how to keep keep that wing stable and be able to move around. So. During all this progression of hop and pops and doing these wing o- or the wing overs, man, that's my favorite. Um, blind mans, etc. You keep saying hop and pop, hop and pop. How important do you think it is to do hop and pops in this progression of canopy piloting? Well, it just depends what you're going for. Like, um, man, I like doing high pulls too. Like, it, yeah, yeah, like. Um, so when I say hop and pops, let's include high pulls. Yeah. Anything that's dedicated canopy, canopy learning versus free falling with 20 other people in a sky. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's weird canopy flight. Like, um, I sort of want to be, like, under canopy. Like, you know how you get up, if you want to get something, you just stand up and walk there because it's something that's so comfortable with. You've spent so much time doing it, you're not thinking. Sure. You're not, like, processing things in your head, thinking, like, yep, I want to go there, I'm going to stand up and grab that. I sort of want to be the same under canopy where you can just it just becomes like walking, it becomes like second nature, like breathing. And I think that's the best thing about high pools and spending time up there. And it's cool if you ever do find a cloud up there, not that we're allowed to jump around them, but like if you find something, you can like gauge distances when you're Mm -hmm. like doing a turn, you can sort of have that sort of thing. And that's sort of what I'm chasing. Like that's the level I want to be at to be like so comfortable under canopy. Like I watch stuff like, especially like Nick Batch and things like that. Like you're watching them do swoops and turns and stuff and they're so comfortable under their canopy i think that's what i'm sort of driving more towards dude did you see that video this week from nick uh, not nick god damn it uh bo bo reby from pd that mm. he was swooping in that rv park i met bo he's a super cool person nick had, did you see that video this week that, no is it a facebook video Can I it's a it? facebook yeah uh, look up bo's facebook page uh r-i-e-b-e for his last name uh, Bo actually is the demo tour rep for Performance Designs. In two weeks from today, he'll be on the show. Next week, we're actually taking the day off, and uh, we just we we uh, Nick and I uh, both have different things going on. It's the Fourth of July. He might be going to a boogie, whatever. Uh, the week after, Bo will be in town. He'll be here for uh, the demo tour, but he's going to join us here on Gravity Lab Radio. Uh, he recently was at I think this was at the Dink Dink Boogie, just laying down a beautiful fucking line. A uh, really nice swoop, Nick. You you missed, I think, the best part because uh, was that, that the right video that you yeah carving through the trees, and as he comes out of those trees, landing straight up by the crowd and actually uh, getting a beer. 
if you're watching this on Facebook uh, right now, I think Nick will put that video up on on the on the Facebook feed. And if you're not, uh, if you're just listening, check out Bo's Facebook page, dude. Super nice line, straight through the trees right there. Carves out to the left, slides, and and the whole video. I don't know. It's coming right up to in front of the crowd. We have the audio up. He's yelling like, "Yo, where's my beer? Where's my beer?" He swooped right by his beer. Just didn't notice it, man. <laughs> Such a tight line, Bo. Fucking super dope. Yeah, I was um lucky enough to actually meet Bo. I went to the Atlanta Boogie. Okay. Yeah. So um, he's it, got the cutest dimples, which is a really cool thing about like being at Spaceland. So I had the opportunity where if they're flying there and this, like so with the package, like you've. First day I was here, I ended up going to Dallas because the plane was flying there. Like, I just had the opportunity yeah. to, like, get on the plane. They're like, yo, we're going to Atlanta. Would you like to come? And it's like, yes. So we flew over there in the King Air and, um, yeah, went to, went to the Atlanta boogie. It was super cool. It was like, hey, it's nice people. It's a cool little drop zone. And I was actually lucky enough to meet Bo there. And that's when I was jumping my 96, my velo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyone who jumps velos knows that sometimes on the openings, they can be, like, Wonky. Very searchy, and yeah. I was I wasn't running an RDS at that time, and I sort of always found like I'd been so still on the harness, just waiting and like hoping it didn't go insane. And um, he actually had like comp velos there, like for demos, and I ended up demoing a ninety, and I just found the openings to be like unbelievable. Like yeah. it was almost like flying my um back when I was flying the Crossfire, like you just pitch. It slows you down and it just opens up on heading and I found that same sort of thing and I was like, that's cool to have something that's like so high performance that opens so nicely. And then I ended up talking to him and he, I think because he was still on tour, like he was doing yeah. the PD tour. So he ended up putting me in touch with Nick, uh, Michael, I can't remember his last name from PD. I think it's, what's a, it's a yeah. And he's put me in touch with them and that's how I ended up because I, I was interested in it. I'm like, dude, I'm really interested in this. And he's like, yeah, cool, man. Like, And he ended up hooking me up with the canopy that I'm flying now. Like, really good rate. And, and yeah, so cheers if you're watching. But, man, both yeah, like, he's a cool person. Yeah, super good dude. So we were kind of talking about Hop and Pops and how they're just a great dedicated form. You know, it, it's... USPA requires for a B license a canopy card. Yeah. The jumps on the canopy card are designed to be from at least 5,000 feet, and they're on designated clearing pools. So whether they're from 5.5, 5, 13.5, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're designated to be you leave, you get stable, you get safe and clear from the airplane, you open a parachute. And the thought process is simple. Uh, your sole purpose, your sole focus, and all, and the majority of your energy is going to learn how to fly and understand your parachute better. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Boyd is doing a lot of hop and pops lately. You're doing yeah. a lot of hop and pops lately. Do you think being? Do, do you agree with that idea? Just doing focus canopy learning is important to how you, where you've gotten to. It clears up your airspace. So, and I think that's a big thing. Like when it comes to safety, and you've got to be like cautious about what's happening with you. I think the best thing about doing hop and pops is the sky it minus planes and things like that like you've always got to be on the lookout but with a hot and pop it takes a lot of other factors out of it that you don't have to stress about or worry about like it's you and especially when you're doing something by yourself or maybe someone else like you know that two people exited that plane you can either one watch them land or look up and see where they are so you know that the airspace is yours and i think it just takes more out of the equation that you can just focus on what you're doing that's such a huge part, man. And under parachute, as we're flying around, as we're around other people, we should be so conscientious yeah. of who's swivel. around us. Head yeah. on a swivel, keeping yeah. your eyes open, being aware of who's around you. 
even on a hop and pop, we should behave that way. But if you, Nick, and I go do a hop and pop, man, it's easy to keep track of where two yeah. other people are. You know where they're at. You watch them leave the plane, and you know you you get the stage where you know that like he's on a seventy one. He's going to be down pretty quick. If you were on your BK or if you're on your um Spectre one twenty, yeah, like it's like I know that you're going to still be up there because you've already thought about these things before you've even jumped out the plane. Like, yeah, it's so nice, man. Ed, Nick and I, we work together regularly. I say together on the same load, but not on the same jump. jump yeah. And I, I really love working with you, Nick, not because I like you, but uh, w- when I see you in, in the sky, if I see you're high enough above me, I know that you're going to be willing to hold for me and I'm going to be willing to get out of your way. If you're close enough to me in the sky i'll give you a quick kick you'll say hey man yeah i'll pass you and you let me know these things right away do you want me to go or do you want me to stay and and i like to think and i hear it from you guys as instructors and video guys regularly that you appreciate the same thing from me and and i'm not talking about me at this point i'm talking about as any jumper i see that guy under a faster dude i load a fucking 120 like 1.7 1.6 since i've lost some weight and uh, i think 1.7 now and uh, it's a pretty heavy wing loading, but you're still rocketing past me. How much does that help you guys that I'm aware of where you're at? And, and talking this kind of other fun jumpers as well. Well, I want to give a huge shout out <clears throat> to anyone who uses their holding area properly to properly enter the pattern. That's huge for me, uh, especially at Spaceland with the way that we have it set up where there's a de-license area and there's a general landing area. And that those two separate areas should have two totally different entrances into the pattern yes, to people that understand where the entrance to the pattern is and they don't jump from one traffic pattern to another and they don't spiral and don't do crazy turns and don't do anything yeah in general and especially once you're in the pattern the people that stick to that 90 degree down one base and final the reason that we use pattern because patterns are things that repeat themselves it should be predictable Huge thank you to everybody who, who does that. If you ever want to learn how to fly a better panty, uh, uh, landing pattern and work on your accuracy and being a more predictable pilot, please ask someone with a lot of jumps. I'm happy to have that conversation. What was your other question? <laughs> I want to read just something came up for me this week. I want to reiterate your point. I was trying to hang out in my holding area. I was trying to set up to start my pattern, and some dude landing in that. Uh, so at Spaceland Houston, we have a a general landing area where everybody's allowed to land and a student support area where currently we allow people with D licenses to also land. And um, I'm in the holding area for one and the dude who's going to land in another area has to cross my path, has to actually fly to where I want to be to get to where he needs to. And what this actually does is force me to start my pattern late. It's not hard to catch up. You, you need to learn and know, understand these things. So it doesn't affect me tons, but it definitely made me work to get there, and it put me behind the curve starting my pattern. So I really appreciate stay in your own holding area. Know where your holding area is. And that doesn't go from me to you. That goes from you to me. And I say you to me. You guys who can land up in the D area. I don't know if you've ever heard instructors at, at our drop zone, but I've heard a couple of them bitch about the way some of the fun jumpers will behave. But their behavior also, they being the instructors, behavior also uh, violates the other person's airspace. Hey, you shouldn't be in my holding area. Then as staff, why are we flying, or as D-license holders, why are we flying in their holding area? It goes both ways for sure. And I totally agree that that, that you sh- if you're landing in the D area, that you shouldn't be over the student area 
under a thousand feet. You just shouldn't. I, mm-hmm. I have a huge pet peeve of people that fly there downwind way off and they're halfway into the student area and they've started too early. And then they fly this giant base crossing from one traffic pattern into another traffic pattern. Because for me, when I'm in the holding area for the D license area, I look over at that person and it looks like they're landing in the student area or in the general area because they're super far away. They're at an altitude where it looks like they're going to turn onto final before they, uh, before they make it to the, to the D area. But they're just jumping from one, they're jumping from one path, one traffic pattern. Like if this, we'd be jumping from one road to another and, uh, it makes it really, I mean, I guess I have a pretty good eye for the people that generally do that sort of thing. I'm usually expecting someone to, to do it. Sure. But, um, and I think it's hard to, unless you want, understand big picture uh, canopy traffic, it's hard to explain it to someone and make them understand the the thing that they're doing wrong. As much as I don't want to say you're doing this wrong, it's... The uh, thing they're doing that make it makes it difficult. That, that congests the traffic pattern. Yeah. What's hard about that is realistically the people you're talking about who are doing that either are really close to being able to land in the D, so they're able to skirt their base leg right up to where we land, or people who just are landing in the D, and they're overriding. So what makes it hard... I've seen... There are a lot of people with a lot of experience, a lot of jumps that still just do it because they just don't understand that it's the wrong thing. For sure there are, but what makes it hard is those middle-of-the-road people, it's hard to read, like, Angus, you're not that guy now, but, man, Angus, he's around 500 jumps. Is he landing over there? Is he landing over here? That's when it gets really difficult because I can look out there and see, you know, somebody's canopy and go, well, I know they land over here. I know they land over there. I can't rely on it, but it helps give me an indication. I think a lot of it comes down to, like, people just not understanding. I find that especially with, like, new flyers. I think that's probably, the like, new skydivers. And um, my big one, and you always hear it, and everyone goes through it, is, like, don't spiral. Now, they don't understand why they don't spiral. Like, that's that's the thing. It's like, mm-hmm. and as I've seen it, like, it's a story that just keeps on repeating itself. You'll see it forever as long as the sport goes. They're like, why not? It's fun. I want to get down quicker. Rah, rah. But they don't understand. The, the thing is, is someone explains it to, like, if you explain why, because I think that's the biggest thing. Like, people don't just do things. They've got reasons why they do stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's good if you can, like, tell someone why not to spiral and you actually explain, like, look, you're on a 230 or a 210 or a 190 and what ha- and then you explain okay when you spiral I'm on a smaller canopy or people are on smaller canopies they see where you're at you spiral down below them they're going to pass you and when people do that and they end up on a low thing like when you've got someone on a 190 or a 2 especially in drop zones that have one landing area like smaller drop zones and then you end up passing someone and the worst thing is passing someone on like a 230 or a 210 at under a thousand feet or on your final leg or something like that because your canopy won't stay up there and it's just the fact that they don't understand that that's why they shouldn't spiral and how the whole traffic thing works because this sport is something completely different and it's just it's not the fact that they're probably doing something to be a dick or whatever like they just don't understand they're just why unaware. we don't do it yeah so i always find like you can tell someone not to do something but if they don't know why not to do it it's not going to mean anything to them I want to say don't spiral. That means don't spiral. Why not? I want, first of all, go to a good canopy course. If yeah. you're trying to get your B license, don't just get was, the canopy card signed off on. Yeah. What's I, was, a, I was surprised with that canopy course. Um, I still, like I come over with like 300 jumps, and it was like a basic canopy course. But I picked up a lot from that. Yeah, like you actually went through one with me. Yeah, it yeah. was it was it was a fun thing. Like 
I learned a lot and I learned the way that um, like you structure teaching and things like that mm. over here. It was a good course. Check out Flight One. Check out these other good guys. Yeah. Brian Windmiller, uh, Superior Flight Solutions or something like that. But Greg Windmiller, uh, go to a good canopy course and learn these things. But just uh, to give some of these people listening why, if I'm a jumper flying like a 1.1 wing loading, I'm going to ballpark it right yeah. there. So that's plus or minus 1.2, 1.0. Your average jumper under a few hundred jumps. What's the descent rate at full flight? Do you have any guess in miles per hour, Nick or and or Angus? Well, we actually have a guess. Descent rates. Miles per hour. Miles per hour. We're talking about vertical descent. Yeah, how quickly are you coming out of the sky just a full flight? Full flight? Yeah. Five miles an hour? 10, 15, 20, 25? I'm still not certain what exactly we're measuring. We're not measuring forward speed? Vertical velocity. Measuring vertical. So someone was coming straight down. Yeah. How many feet per second or miles per hour? Miles per hour, we're coming straight down. I'm going to go around 25. Okay, we're actually coming down around 13 miles an hour at that wing loading. Now I say about. This oh, is I forget my one-to-one wing loading. Okay. Yeah, 1.1. Yeah. 1. 1. And now this is measured through rec- uh, flight recorders, GPS, fly sites, stuff like that. Um, that same canopy does one 360-degree turn. What does vertical descent rate increase to? 55 miles an hour. Yeah. Again, this is measured. This is not a guesstimate. This is measured through devices. If you're a jumper and you're flying at full flight, and everybody around you is flying at full flight, you're coming yeah. down at 13 miles an hour. One 360 goes 55 miles an hour. Now that one 360, imagine how much space you ate up, and how much. Imagine how many people's uh, uh, airspace you've messed with. Yeah. Nick and I have already communicated in the sky. We've looked at each other. And actually, I've jumped with you this week. Yeah. I've looked at where you're at. You've looked where I've at, I'm at. I've looked at where Nick's at. We have this plan amongst so many people in the sky. And your 1360 violates that many people's yeah. plans to not run into each other, to not kill each other, to not make each other uncomfortable or unsafe. I think that's it. It's proactive flying. Like you're sorting out your landing pattern not on your landing pattern. You're sorting out or like the arrangement of the way that people are going to land. You're sorting it out before it's even happening. Like it just becomes a thing that you like. You see someone on a smaller canopy like Nick on his 71 uh-huh. back, back when I was on like bigger canopies and you go like, yep, I'll just wait. Sit and brakes because he gets below and then I don't have to worry about him because I know he's gone. It's like when it comes to landing, you're making it simpler for yourself. Like it's you're eliminating risk and things like that. The other thing you mentioned is is I equate it to being on the freeway. I drive on cruise control a lot. <clears throat> I'm super lazy. I put it on about four over the speed limit, and I sit in the slow lane. And then this dude passes me, gets in front of me, slows down. I never touch anything, and I just go around him. Yeah. And then he has to pass me, speed up, slows down. We, we've all been there. Yeah. So if you've ever been there, now you're the guy spiraling under canopy. Yeah. I'm under, under my specter. Not not under your Valkyrie, not under your Comp Velo, and under my Valkyrie, under my Spectre, I outload a lot of these jumpers. And I'll watch a jumper spiral right past me, let up and fly, and me be at full flight, sink right past them with no help. I, it's just what happens. And then they spiral right past me. You're that guy on the freeway. You're the guy passing people and then slowing down in front of them. That spiraling, yes, is fun, and I highly recommend doing it. Unhop and pop. pops. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Unhop and pops. That's what they're there for. And not on a hop and pop day where everybody's doing hop and pops because yeah. the cloud coverage is low. When there's only a handful of people out there, man, they're, they're so helpful. And that's the thing that you said. Hop and pops are a good place to do these goofy things and these fun Sky's things. Sky's yours. Yeah, like it's... Yeah. Uh, why do you skydive? Because it's for me, right? 
Mm. You just said the sky's yours. The most selfish type of skydive I own and I have is a hop and pop. Yeah. It, especially a hop and pop where you're the only one on the plane as a hop yeah. and pop. Oh, how do you, you do those? I've seen you do them. Yeah. How much do you enjoy those? It's beautiful. You don't have to worry about anything. I mean, once your parachute's open. It's <laughs> so peaceful. It, it really is becomes one of my most peaceful moments when I do those. Yeah. Angus, we got to wrap up the show, man. I super appreciate having you on. But as we get to the close, anything else you want to share about Angus? And, and I really want to talk about Australia, and we didn't even get halfway through there. Uh, uh, this, is, this has been cool. Um, I think there's anything really a lot. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate having you here. Guys, gals, if you're at Spaceland Houston, check out Angus. He's the guy who looks like the koala. Uh, do all koalas have chlamydia? Um, 90%. I had to look that fact up. 90%. Google it. uh, 90% qualities have chlamydia. They got it from Luke Rogers. Till then, Gravity Lab Radio. My name is DJ Marvin. Blue Skies. Thank you.